Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. It's that time again for me to do all the heavy lifting while Andy Brassel sits in the corner taking the credit for it all. Andy, how the dickens are you? That sounds pretty much standard. I'm currently in my carpet slippers, and that's exactly what I shall be doing. You little sausage. Um, That is uh, uh, not true, of course. Andy is the brains of the operation here, whereas I am very much the sex appeal. Uh, Thank you very much for your questions. Uh, It's been been a pleasure. Sorry, did I laugh too much at that? (laughs) Oh, Andy, you, uh, you kill me with that laughter of yours. I've got some questions, Andy, together, and uh, and I'm going to put them to you. We're going to stick with tradition. Let's start with a question. A couple of people have asked um, this in sort of various forms. It's Max uh, asked uh, this question, uh, and Stuart Tuckwell has asked it uh, as well. Stuart Tuckwell. Uh, with the Champions League draw having been made, are there any teams that you could see surprising people this season, like last year with Atalanta going deep? Salzburg being very competitive in a different group. Uh, and it's Max asked um, something similar as well, uh, but also extended that to the Europa League to Andy. Uh, what do you reckon, Brassel? What do, what do you got for the chaps and the chapesses? Well, for the, the, the Champions League, I think it's actually quite a difficult question for this one, Marcus, because if you have a look at it, I think there are two pretty clear favourites in, in each of the groups this year. Um, you know, there are there are some groups. Um, I think you look at Group G, where it's Juventus, Barcelona, Dinamo Kiev, and Ferenc Varos. There is really very little way of making an argument that Dinamo Kiev or Ferenc Varos are bloodying the noses of Juventus or Barcelona, let alone getting out of the group. Yeah. So that that's that's quite quite tough. I know a lot of people have looked at the Manchester United group and said that you know United could be in trouble there. I tend to think Leipzig, I'm, I'm not convinced that they're going to um, manage to get past Manchester United in that group. Have you seen how bad Manchester United have been, Andy? <laughs> I have watched one or two of their recent games. Um, on, on the other hand, just as I think you can't really make judgment um, off a couple of United games, I think... You can't really make judgment on the most um, recent Leipzig performance we saw after uh, before recording was then beating Schalke 4-0. Now, mm. I'm, I'm not sure that counts for an enormous amount at, at the moment. It, it certainly doesn't convince me that Leipzig have ironed out some of their issues. Of course, they brought in Alexander Sorlots, who scored a lot of goals for Trabzonspor last year in the, in the Turkish Super League. But, you know, I, th- they've not got a like-for-like replacement for... Timo Werner and Julian Nagelsmann has talked about how um, he wants to um, share the goal scoring burden amongst their midfielders. And I think if you look at the way that Emil Forsberg and Danny Olmo in particular have played in the opening weeks of the season, there is at least some evidence to suggest that could be the case. I don't trust them to get the job done at home. And um, if you look, especially in the back half of last season against weaker sides, I mean, Schalke, yes, they're a weaker side, but they are the absolute worst of the worst as it goes at the moment. You know, them and Mites are the, the Bundesliga write-offs as, as, as stands. So I don't really trust them to manage to 
get it over the line in home games. I, I think they can sometimes be a little bit befuddled if you just give them the ball, really. I, I think it's that simple. Now, Nagelsmann's tried to make them more adaptable from that, but the amount of points they lost at home in the run-in last season, that was the reason they slipped out of title contention because Werner was scoring goals throughout that period. So I'm not entirely convinced that they will finish above Manchester United in in that group. Also, I think I have to say, Leipzig and Atalanta, if they did well this season, would it be a surprise? Because one was a semi-finalist last season and the other was a whisker from being a semi-finalist last season. Okay, so well, let's look around some of the other groups then. Because um, I, I, I take your point. Um, what about Lazio? They're in with Zenit Dortmund and Club Bruges. They could get through that group. They've proved last year that they've got goals in the side. Could they? Could they do something in, in the Champions League? Would you fancy them? Um, if, if everyone stays fit, then yes. Um, the, the squad's not deep enough. I, I think it's, it's that's that's the issue for them. If you've got Milinkovic Savic, Luis Alberto. Um, and uh, Chiro and Mobile all, all firing. Uh, I think it's, it's it's looking good, but I think they've got issues, particularly at the back. If you scratch below the, the the surface a little bit, I could definitely see them getting out of the group because Zenit serially disappoint at at this level. So even though they've got a bigger budget than Lazio, for example, I would think it's most likely that Dortmund and Lazio are the, the teams that get out of that group. Although, when we're talking of underdogs, I'm not saying they'll, they'll qualify, but Club Brugge had some great moments in last year's Champions League. And I think if you look at the veteran midfield that they've got, and look at Rude Former, Hans Vanneken, they were brilliant at the Bernabeu last year and they should have won there. And um, they were two goals up and they, they let it slip right at the, at the end. So... They could cause some some difficulty in that group. They're your uh, hot tip. <laughs> yeah, let's say that. Even though you I, pronounce I think, the name like an like a an odd person. <laughs> I, I think the interesting one to watch <laughs> in these groups actually, I'd go to Chelsea's group um, because yeah. I, I, you would expect Sevilla and Chelsea to be the top two to come out of the group. Yeah, Krasnodar, Andy, tell, talk Kras- to me about them. <laughs> Krasnodar are interesting because. Uh, They've got an owner who is richer than God. They have incredible, incredible facilities. Come on, there's some people who've had a rough year in 2020, and you know I don't think the big man's any different. To be fair, but um, you look at some of the experience they've got. um, Remy Cabella has been terrific since arriving from Saint Etienne there in midfield. and uh, I think Tony Valena is Valena is a player that I really rate as well. They've got really experienced front two in Klassen and Berg, so they're quite interesting. And yeah, they're they're brilliantly backed. But when we're talking of well backed, I think we have to look at Ren in that group. Mm. Like like Krasnodar, Champions League first timers, they've spent a lot of cash this summer, Ren. And you know they would have spent a little bit more if they'd have managed to get. Jeff Ray and Adelaide, who, who they were looking like they were getting at one point before he ended up going on loan uh, to Nice with an option to buy from, from, from Lyon. So they've not thought, well, let's see how it goes in the Champions League. You know, like Premier League clubs, or, or I should say championship clubs, who get promoted to the Premier League and think, mm-hmm. we're going to adopt a conservative approach. Ren have been, we're in the Champions League, let's spend it all, let's go crazy. <laughs> and they've been out there 
Um, you know, you, you look at the, the, the money they've they've spent so far, and um, that they're building so they can they think they can be in this um, in the Champions League and in the top bracket in France for for the next couple of years. I mean, of course, they they let uh, Rafinha go, but then you, you look at the guy they signed to replace him. They they sign Jeremy Doku from. Anderlecht, an 18-year-old for 26 million up front. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 not muck, they're not mucking about this time. No. So I think they're not... I mean, they want to they play attractive football. I still think there's a little bit of naivety to them because even you look at the most experienced players, like um, I think you look at Damian De Silva, who's got relatively little experience at this level, certainly. But then, then again, you look at the fact that they brought in Stephen and Zonzi, who will be really helpful. And because of the way Julian Stefan likes to play, and Zonzi doesn't just sit in front of the defence, he's off the leash and he gets the chance to get into the box and try and score goals as well. I think Wren will be very, very interesting in that group. They haven't come just to make up the numbers. No, um, but but they were needed to make up the numbers, of course. Uh, and I noticed you have yeah, we can't mentioned... have odd numbered groups. No, 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 <laughs> and no. I noticed you didn't mention Marseille. That's perhaps your bias against them talking there. We'll draw a discreet <laughs> veil over that. Uh, what is it, then, quickly, Andy, what about the Europa League then? The Europa League is always harder to predict these kind of shocks in. I think because Dundalk, Andy. Yeah, there you go. There's there's my prediction. Thank Talk you very to much. Dumb dog. <laughs> well, I th- I think the the interesting thing about the UEFA um, Europa League groups always is the fact that people talk about that there being such a, a gap between the haves and the have-nots in the yeah. Champions League. It's far more pronounced in the Europa mm-hmm. League, and um, I think we we said on the ramble, like, or, or I said on the ramble, like the first time you realise that Arsenal were not just underachieving under Unai Emery, but right banging in the shit mm-hmm. is when they didn't go out there and win all six group games in the Europa League group. Because even, even though they were playing teams of, of relative standing, you know, you look at Standard Liège, um, Guimarães, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt are in that group. They should be knocking those over. Absolutely no problem at all. So it, it does show what a gap there is. And again, you look at the Arsenal, uh, the draw Arsenal have got this year. Um, Rapid Vienna, Mulder, Dundalk, even though Mulder came incredibly close to getting into the Champions League groups, you would still expect them to get through that with, with reasonable ease. The teams that I look at straight away, um, I think Leicester look good for the quarterfinals, I, I would say. They're in a group where I think them and Braga should come out of it. And I think they're in a similar position to Wolves last year. Mm-hmm. You look at the budget, you look at the players, you look at the squad and the fact that they can, I think, breeze through a lot of games playing half a team until they get to the latter stages. Um, they're a team that I could see going quite quite deep into it. Um, of course, you look at the quality of Villarreal, Napoli, Spurs. I, I guess the more under-the-radar ones who I would I would point out, well, I don't know if you can say under the radar, actually, because Benfica um, are, are a team that's got to the final within recent memory and should have won it against Chelsea in, in, in 2013. Oh yeah, yeah. Jorge Jesus, of course, who um, was in charge for for that disappointment, he's, he's back in charge and don't want to go deep. But they have spent, I think if you add up 
the, the, the transfer fees, they uh, just the transfer fees. We're, we're not talking wages or agents or any of that sort of stuff. Um, they've spent something like the fifth or sixth most in Europe this summer, which yes. is absolutely extraordinary. Um, they've got a squad that I think is, is versatile enough to, to, to get them a long way in this competition. Um, I like the look of Nice, who we were talking about before. Um, they've just added Jeff Adelaide, as, as we said. I think you look at Alexis Claude Maurice, uh, Amin Guiri, who's, who's just joined this summer, the, the, the striker from the Lyon Academy. They've got some interesting players, as well as the experience of Dante, for example. Um, I, I quite like the look of them and would like to see how they get on. And of course, PSV Eindhoven have made some really interesting signings going into to, to, to this Europa League, including Mario Goetze, who I'm really interested to see, you know, if, if he can still cut it at the top level anymore. Because in terms of talent, there's no doubt. But in, in terms of physical fitness, as we were saying on, on, on the continent the other day, there's there's got to be more of a doubt. But I think elsewhere in PSV's group, I really want to see Granada as well, because Granada have had their first ever qualification for Europe. They've got brilliant young coach in uh, Diego Martinez, who's worked with uh, Unai Emery before. He's, he's, he's had his influence at, at Sevilla. And there are some really interesting players in, in, in that squad. Um, you, you know, I think I think you look at Yangel Herrera, who's on his second year on loan from, from Manchester City. They've managed to hold on to Rui Silva, the goalkeeper, who's absolutely terrific. Luis Mia, who's just arrived there this, this, this summer. Brilliant young midfielder, and I'm looking forward to to seeing more of him. And then you've got the experience with uh, Gonalon, Roberto Soldado. I'm really interested to see if Granada can get themselves into the knockout stages. Mm, so am I, Andy. So am I. All right. Badillo. Sigue gritando Rubén el golpeo de Badillo. ¡Qué parada! ¡No! Question two from Tarquind. What now for Felipe Anderson? He made a splash initially at West Ham, but do you expect that he'll have a career renaissance and perhaps end up at a top European club in, say, two years? What do you reckon to that, Andy? It's optimistic. I, I, yeah. I like that. I like that optimist optimism at the start of a new season, definitely. Um, I feel that this uh, season in Porto is, is, is quite a pivotal season for Felipe Anderson because if you get lunged out by West Ham to Porto mm. it says a couple of things A that it's not really going right B that your club are essentially paying to get you back in the shop window or you know at very worst rehabilitate their asset because they don't feel that anything's really happening for that player and at 27 given the ability he's got given the potential he's got, it needs to move on from we know this is a talented player to this is a player who can actually affect games yeah. and change him going forward. I mean, it, it sort of reminds me of, I, I guess you think of previous players who've been loaned from the Premier League to, to Portugal. And you think of Nani being loaned to uh, um, Sporting for free 
as in not only did Manchester United not charge sporting a fee, they paid all his wages for the entire year. So mm-hmm. that very much was banging him in the, 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 the shop window. I think it is important for Felipe Anderson to, um, to get some exposure because I, th- I think we saw enough in his first season at West Ham that we, we know there's the quality there. And we saw that at, at Lazio before. But the th- I always questioned why really West Ham were signing him. I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that he's a, he's a very good player. But I think from the Italian side of it, if you've got a player who's not in your first 11 most of the time and a Premier League club comes along and wants to pay 40 million for him, mm-hmm. that definitely strikes you as one of those, you know, the old cliche about Premier League clubs helping you out of a hole because they'll chuck money at something you're not yeah, expecting. Yeah. And, and, and Lazio were delighted with that deal, I know. That's not to say he didn't have some great moments at, at, at Lazio, but for a lot of, as his time at Lazio went on, he was used off the bench quite a lot. And I think you can understand why, because he's got that pace, he's got that ability to, to run at people. And that's something... That, that, that he can do but I think from his perspective he'll be wanting to be in that position like I said where, where, where he, he feels he can he can run games and that's something that we've not really seen from him and, and, and we need to start seeing from him but I think it's a good deal for Porto because normally that they would never be able to afford that sort of player and I, I think if you I, I don't know if 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 you look at it mm-hmm. um that they've they've lost some quality so i guess a lot of people would be expecting him to go there and walk straight into that team porto still have a very good midfield mm. you know I, th- I think you look at their wide players in particular you look at um Jesus Corona, who they can also play at, at right back the, the mexican i'm quite surprised that they they hung on to him because there was a lot of premier league interest but Otavio on the other side as well. And Otavio is right-footed and comes in from the left. So I assume there's a sort of similar position because Porto almost certainly will continue to play this this 4-4-2 that they've played most of the time under Sergio Conceição. So Felipe Anderson needs to get himself in, in into a place where he needs to play well enough to make sure he plays every week to put yeah. himself in, in that shop window. And it's it's not a given. There's competition there, and Felipe, uh, Felipe Anderson is also going to have to um, work with a coach who expects some sort of physical effort from a team. I think sometimes people look at Portuguese football and think yeah. it's a non-contact sport because I think the, the physical parameters of it are so different from the Premier League. But that that is definitely not the case with Sergio Conceição and his teams. He wants muscle. He wants physical effort and Felipe Anderson is going to have to do that exactly the same as he would if he was at West Ham so from that perspective I suspect suspect West Ham haven't really thought about it this deeply I I suspect they thought well we can get a bit of the wages off the book books get into play for a bit and any port in the storm you know they've not really thought through is this the particular club where you know they could get the most out of him and bring him back to the level he, he should be. I just think it's an opportunity and, and they've gone for it. But from that perspective of um, the sort of 
athleticism that Contessao requires from his teams. I think it's actually quite good for Philippe Anderson that, that he's there, whether that means that he's going to come back to the Premier League with West Ham or, or to another team or whatever. I think it will work quite well for him, but he's going to have to work really hard to get in this team, I think. Mm. I think it's a lovely old job going to you know a, Port, a, a Porto or a Benfica because if you are a player like Philippe Anderson... To just pick up on, on a little um, uh, a bit of the question, you know, a, a top European club as, as Tarquin has asked. I, I think that, that playing for, say, Porto and Benfica, it, for some players, maybe Felipe Anderson, it, it, it's kind of like ideal because you're not they're not going to play for a Barcelona or a, or a Juventus or a yeah. Manchester City or, or you know Liverpool or whatever. That, that that seems unlikely. What is he? Twenty seven now, so. Yeah, um, but for a player of his talent, you, you you want to be thinking, you know, trophies, you know, league titles and playing in Europe. Well, I think Porto and Benfica are two uniquely placed clubs um, that, you know, if you go there, your chances of winning a trophy are quite high. Um, I understand that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that the fact is it's it's high at both sides mean that not they both can't win the league if you see what I mean but but also they're they're well respected and they're competitive in European competition you mentioned Benfica getting uh, to the Europa League final I mean if you look at the Champions League draw that Porto are in Manchester City Olympiacos and Marseille they could qualify through that group now I understand they wouldn't be favourites uh, they wouldn't be among the favourites and, and if and if a team drew Porto in, in the knockout phases then they'd probably be fairly happy with that but it's not yeah. like other leagues where uh, you know you could play for a top Greek side for example uh, they you know and you, you would get Champions League football but I don't think they'd be as competitive as say the top two in Portugal and you could go around one or two of the other nations so I, I think that that sort of that sort of Porto Benfica zone if you see what I mean that some players can find themselves and I, I think it's quite ideal you're playing huge stadium uh, a, a country that loves its football and uh, and so on I think I think there's a hell of a lot worse places to be I agree I, th- I think the point that you made about Greece is, is is quite an interesting one because maybe some people would think of um, say Porto and Olympiacos being on a, a, a similar level um, well firstly yes we have to say Olympiacos have done a decent job mm. an increasingly decent job in in Europe in, in recent times that having come back to a, a, a really sort of, I guess you can't say successful era, but certainly a successful season last year under Pedro Martins, who's done a great job there, the obviously Portuguese coach. Um, they were great at Spurs and at Arsenal in the um, Champions and then the Europa League last season. But I think the big difference when you talk about the, the, the projection of those two clubs, you get a lot more scouts at Porto. And mm. I think that really helps. Of course, they're not necessarily going there looking for sure. Felipe Anderson. They're maybe looking at a younger player. Maybe they're looking at a, a, a Fabio Vieira or, so, or someone like that. But the, the, you've got the captive attention of the amount of scouts from the biggest clubs that go to Portugal well, they think, oh, that's what Felipe Anderson's up to. I, yeah. I think that's actually quite helpful for him, given that he's obviously got quite an uncertain future. Mm. Andy, we will finish with this question from Fortis Leo. Fortis Leo? Fortis Leo. Mm. 
Uh, they know who they are. Just watch Take the Ball, <laughs> Pass the Ball. It very much lined up Xavi as the future Barca boss. What is his current managerial reputation? And what does his path to the Barca job look like? I mean, this one seems like Frank Lampard to Chelsea. You know, we, we know it's going to happen. Lamps to Chelsea happened sooner than we might have thought. Xavi seemed to be in the running or in the conversation for the uh, Barcelona job before they saw sense and brought in big Ronald Koeman. <laughs> I guess you're saying that outside of like the Qatari Derby County, is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I see how you've done that, but no, that wasn't what I was saying. <laughs> It's uh, the, the latest in my never-ending efforts to vice words into your mouth, Marcus. <laughs> so what do you reckon, I th- Andy? I think it's, it's going to happen at some point. It's, it's, it's definitely going to happen at some point. And his qualification for the, the, the job in terms of his, his, his coaching pedigree is almost irrelevant because he represents so much for Barcelona ideologically unless he's an absolutely disastrous coach at Al-Sad, and from what I gather, not watching uh, the Qatari League that closely, he's been all right. But I think it's what he represents. He represents the most successful era of Barcelona. And that's something that people find very hard to, to, to look at and emotionally. And I think when you, when you, when you look at his involvement in that the idea that he was the coach on the pitch really in a completely different way but in some ways quite similar way to how Gabby was for Atletico Madrid for example someone who's thought of as more than just a player but a muse for the team I think I think that's that's quite important I thought it was also quite interesting if we go back what six months where Xavi gave this interview for La Vanguardia in Spain and, um, you know, having said no to the job and Kike Setien got it, he was like, well, I feel ready for Barcelona now. And then he's he, he, he talked about the sort of players he'd like to bring in, his yeah. vision of the game and, you know, just broke it down bit by bit. I think he's in a good position in the sense that whoever comes in next as, as Barcelona president, and as we know, there's a vote of no confidence against Joseph Bartomeu, so the president. So the latest he will be living, leaving the presidency is, is March. Um, that says to me that Ronald, Ronald Koeman is going to last this season, max, and, and that's going to be it. So clearly the, the job is going to be up for grabs. And there's a lot to recommend, Javi, as a candidate. Um, one, you're not paying the same for him as you would pay for. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he would be cheap for a second. No, I know what he's you mean. Not, he's, he's, not, he's not going to be as expensive as a coach who's won four Champions Leagues, mm-hmm. for example. Um, the ideological, who, who is that coach, Andy? Um, well, Zinedine Zidane, obviously. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, that, that's because, likely to happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even if Zidane wasn't Zidane, his football <laughs> wouldn't sell itself to Barcelona at all. So he, he, he does the reverse of tick all the boxes, basically. Right. But um, I, th- I think you, you look at that and it's financially an okay fit. Culturally, 
a perfect fit. Oh. Philosophically, oh, a perfect fit. And if you're someone who's who's taken over as president, whether it be Joan Laporta and his mm-hmm. incredible return, or whether whether it's um, Victor Font or whoever else is going to be the next Barcelona president, it's it's not hard to imagine them sort of riding in on a white horse and going, do you know what? After this um, run of um, incompetent shambolic management, we're going to bring back Barcelona to what it's all about. And when you're talking yeah. about Barcelona values, who do you want on the front of the ship? I mean, he's, he's pretty convincing. No one's going to argue with him, really, are they? No. Whether he's the, actually the right man for the job is neither here nor there, really. In yeah. terms of optics, it's absolutely perfect. And so if you said to me that um, Xavi will be the head coach of Barcelona this time next year. In fact, if you said to me Xavi wouldn't be the head coach of Barcelona this time next year, I'd actually be quite surprised. Yeah, you'd full-on laugh in their face. What if Ronald <laughs> Koeman has an absolute blinder, Andy, which some people think he might do? What if he wins the league? Maybe even the, maybe even a domestic double and uh, does pretty well in the Champions League. Then what you got to say? That is so hard to imagine. Uh, that is really hard to imagine. It's probably hard to imagine for him now he hasn't got Memphis on board. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think domestic success has not been the issue in recent years. And, you know, I, I know they've had a few missteps since. But go back to Ernesto Valverde, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who lost very few games in La Liga, who got them uh, to straight domestic titles, which the further you come away from it, the more of a miracle it seems. And just pinning away collapses in the Champions League on Valverde, of course you can have issues with his tactics. That's not a problem. But pinning it all on him, that just won't wash. And I think everything that's happened since makes that abundantly clear. So... um, do you think whatever I, come I, I what may, Koeman's gone at the end of the season? Yeah, because it's, it's it's possible that they win the league, but will that change what how the how the supporters feel about the current management? No, it, it won't change how they feel about the board. It won't change the fact that the squad has a heck of a lot of work that needs to be done to it. I mean, I think if Barcelona were to win the league, it would say as much about Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid and where they are at the moment as it would about Barcelona. The fact that it's not impossible says a lot about the, the current state of the absolute elite level of La Liga. Is it even an elite level? Yeah. Well, I look forward to Ronald Koeman proving you wrong. <laughs> not that... proving me wrong, pro- proving tens of thousands of Barcelona match-going fans wrong. Well, they're not going to the matches at the moment, are they, Andy? No, that's true. Anyway, we'll leave it on that note, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to The Mailbag. Thank you for getting your questions in. Oh, it's good to read them, and it's good to have Andy answer them. Uh, Andy, thank you very much, my good man. What have you got on for the rest of the day, the week, the month, possibly the year? Because it probably isn't that different to the first question. Uh, no, no. Um, I shall be, as always, c- committing myself to further language learning, uh, reading mm-hmm. the European press, preparing for the next episode of OTC. And the mailbag. I'm always prepared for the next episode of the mailbag. Yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? There we yeah, are. Exactly. All right, my good man. We'll have a lovely old time. And, uh, Thank you. And, and where you can, have a baklava 
on me. D- don't you mean a back lover? Yeah, apparently we were pronouncing that wrong the other day on the on the uh, football ramble. For those who heard, baklava is how you say it, not baklava. No, so, that's how um, Kate Mason says it. No, that was Kate knows. That's how, that's how how you do it. So uh, we got to hold our hands up there. But not to worry, Andy. It's not the worst thing that we've come out with as a collective. There we are. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.